I want to talk with you this morning about the subject of the appearance of evil. And we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, we'll read that in just a moment if you want to take, turn over there in 1 Thessalonians 5 if you have a Bible. If, if not, we'll put those scriptures up here for you to see. But when I was a boy, I, this, this passage here in 1 Thessalonians, I heard it mentioned quite a lot when I was a young man. At least it struck me that way. I'm finding out some of the things I remember, you know, being such a way, you know, maybe they weren't that way. I see this with my kids and grandkids. The other day something happened. Oh, yes, we went so and this is one of our grown kids. We we went so and so did such and such all the time. She and I looked at you. We might have went there once or twice. I don't know. Maybe. But but to them, it seemed like it was something happened. All. So maybe I'm exaggerating here when I say this. I, I don't think so very much. And especially later on in my teenage years, my mother used this passage a lot about the appearance of evil. And uh, I think it's been misused. Now, the object of the sermon this morning is not, not some grand object. I want to talk about this passage, and I want to look at how it's been translated. I'm going to look at what the words mean and maybe a proper understanding of how to apply it. But I don't have some grand purpose, and maybe it's going to be a lot like the sermon last week that some of you complained about. I didn't even really tell you what to think. So forgive me for not telling you what to think for once. I do it every week for 45 years now, 47 years. I, for once, I can t- not tell you what to think. But I, I want—I I don't think we'll get where I, where you might want me to go today with this, but, but at least we can take a look at this passage. And I want to try to clarify what this means, because I think it's something that comes up all the time. And stated in modern times, recent years, it's been stated differently about how we should react to people. For example, it's the way it's used a lot like the... The passage of Jesus, love your neighbors yourself. I was told if I don't wear a mask, I'm obviously violating Jesus' commandment of not loving my neighbor as myself. I rejected that notion then. I reject it now. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can talk about that passage, but wearing a mask probably isn't one of them, especially that I'm going to buy into as far as loving your neighbor. And the appearance of evil, what people think about that, that meaning that I can't do anything that anybody else thinks is wrong, is also one that we need to think carefully about. But let's read, let's go to the scriptures first. Let's read this passage. We're going to start, get a running start on, start back in verse 14 to get the whole context. Here Paul tells this church in Greece, Thessalonica, and by the way, this city is still there. Thessaloniki is still there. Uh, but now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now this is the New King James Version. A 20th century revision of the King James Version. Maybe 21st century, but I think it was made in the late 20th century. And it says, abstain from every... Y'all didn't realize you're centuries old, did you? Yeah. I talk about something that happened last century, and I'm talking about the 1900s, but that just shows how old I am. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, King James here, if you look at some of the... These are some major translations of this verse. 
The new King James says, that we just read, abstain from every form of evil. The King James Version, which many of you read from as a child and maybe still read from, abstain from all appearance of evil. And it was quoted to me all the time, abstain from every appearance of evil. Abstain from every form of evil is the American standard, and the new, the new American standard is abstain from every form of evil. So you see, three out of the four major ones here have every form of evil, where the King James had this word appearance of evil. When you, when you look at this more closely, you see the amplified version, for example, same from every form of evil, withdraw and keep away from it, amplifies it. And then the amplified version, I don't know what PC stands for, uh, C, abstain from evil, shrink from it, keep from aloof from it, in whatever form or whatever kind it may be. And so you see that, that translation of it. Here's a bunch of other translations. Don't have anything to do with evil, hold aloof from every form of wickedness. Turn away from everything that is evil. You see some other one. You got a bunch more here. I, I you know, look some of these up. Uh, uh, let's go to the next slide. You, you have the Phillips version. Phillips is a he, he's a Greek scholar. Did his own amplified type version. Never damp the fire of the spirit. Never despise what is spoken in the name of the Lord. Uh, this is not really a translation because those most of those words are not in the text. This is amplification of the Greek. By all means, use your judgment and hold on to whatever is really good. Steer clear of all evil in any form, he says. And then uh, then you have the separate yourselves from all appearance of evil and so forth. You have uh, the last two here. Hang on a minute here. The, the, well, I don't even want to read the message. I'm sorry I put it on there. I have so little regard for the message translation. I can't even, I don't know why I even put it on there. Sorry about that. You can take that as a, as an opinion. I'll tell you what I really think about that. The message is, what's the Greek word I'm looking for? Garbage. All right. There's a Greek word for that. It, it, it really, it really does not reflect the text of the New Testament. I, I know you think I'm joking. The message does not reflect the Greek text. That's written by the apostles. And therefore, I reject it. Some of these translations are meant to be amplifications. They're, they're meant to be uh, personal translations. And I can understand that. They, they can be useful. But there are others that are so personal, such personal trans, and they don't even reflect what the Greek text says. And I think you should steer clear of those. If you want to get a Bible, you don't have to use a King James with all the these and the thous. I don't, you can learn to do that. And it's, it's a good translation. But you can get one, get one that's an, a literal translation that reflects what's in the Greek manuscripts that we have, that reflects the truth of that very clearly. And there's plenty of those. And I'll rec- I recommend the first four I use, those four or five major ones, are done by a group of people. Some of those people aren't even Christians, they're just looking at the Greek. And you can get a good idea of what the Greek says there. But some of these things like the message and the living Bible and all that, they, they belong in the trash can. The New Living Version says, keep away from everything that even looks like sin. Now that's the, that's the version my mother quoted to me. Not, not that version. This is what my mother would tell me all the time. When I grew my sideburns real long when I was a teenager back in the 60s, keep away from everything that even looks like sin. I wanted wide belts and bell-bottom pants. Keep away from everything that even looks like sin. This was, this was my mother. Anyway, if something looks evil, the NTE says, keep well away. So you see, even in this broad range of a lot of different translations, there's two different ways of seeing this verse that are reflected here. 
Uh, one of them says, and we'll come back to this, if it looks like sin, stay away from it. The other one says, sin has many different forms, stay away from all of them. What's the word self mean in Greek? Well, this word eidos, you don't, you wouldn't recognize that word off, off immediately in English, but we have an English word, a very common word in English that this word is the derivative, or that derives from this word, and that's the word video. Ever heard of video? So it's the most common word in the 21st century. And so video, something that you see, that's what this word is, that's the root of the, this word here. The root of the word video is idos here, ido and the verb forms of it. And it means a view of something, had to have a view of something. Uh, that is, it's form, either literal form or figurative form, the appearance of something, the fashion, the shape, and the sight. And so it's translated in the, in the King James uh, five times, shape, fashion, sight, appearance. And so that's what the word means. Now that, that isn't a lot of help exactly in understanding what this passage is talking about. Because it could mean something that looks like something else. Or it could mean whenever something, whenever something appears, whatever form it is, you reject it, whatever form it may take. And so here are the two possible views of the passage. There may be more. The two major views that I've seen expounded in my lifetime, and you may have heard these, we must not do anything that others would perceive as sinful. That's a Christian principle that people lay out. If we think other people think it's wrong or sinful, we shouldn't do it. I keep mentioning the past, but it shows you my background. But um, my father, uh, he taught me and my brothers and the family. We played, we played canasta and hearts and a bunch of ga- card games like that at the kitchen table. And be- <laughs> believe it or not, we often do this on Saturday night. So here we're playing these car, all oh, there's six of us, and maybe, maybe my uncle was there. We were playing canasta, and so we'd have to, my mother would say, okay, it's your turn to go get a bath, Mike, and get your Bible lesson, so you gotta quit and go do that. So here we're doing our Bible lesson, getting the bath ready for church tomorrow, and we're playing cards. My grandfather just couldn't conceive of this, because in his generation, to play with what he called spot cards, regular cards with hearts and clubs and the numbers and the kings, was a sin. Because only non-Christian, worldly people played cards because it was associated with gambling, with wrong kind of leisure, and this was a very serious offense to play with spot cards. You grew up in, in Indiana, right? So you knew this. This is how it was there too, right? Uh, and, and in fact, we knew a Christian lady who's my age. Uh, bless her heart. We love her to death, but she, um, we were going to go somewhere. This, I was preaching at the church where she was some years ago. We were going to have a picnic like we were to, are today later on after church. And Judy says, well, I'll bring our, I'll bring a couple of card tables so we'll have some place to sit. She goes, she looks so horrified. She says, I'm like, well, we don't have card tables at our house. We have folding tables. <laughs> because she was a Christian. She didn't have a card table. She had a folding table. So I always laugh and everybody talk about that. So this is the way things used to be because you didn't want to do anything that somebody else would think is wrong. Now, I can understand that. There is a there is nothing good about gambling and casinos. Casinos are look like they're ritzy, but they are not. They're cheesy and smoky and cheap. And they're filled with people that are really in a hard place in life. How, ask me how I know. I can tell you some interesting stories. 
I know because I've been in a casino before. I went in just to look around, do research. <laughs> oh, I got a funny story about that. Well, I better not. T- I ain't got time to tell you the story. But anyway, uh, <laughs> huh? Tell the story. No, don't tell the story. Okay, move along. Okay. I thought I was I was getting encouragement from the audience. Tell these. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. My wife's going. Don't don't tell that story. Anyway, uh, there's there's nothing good about gambling like that. I can't find anything to to recommend it from the Bible standpoint as a way to make money. And it's even a, a, a it's possibly entertainment, and you can use it correctly. But I can't recommend that lifestyle. Kind of recommend that you go gamble once in a while. I guess it's okay. I I don't know, but. It isn't been viewed positively by Christians for many centuries because it doesn't lead anywhere good. Same thing is true with a lot of other things. If it looks bad, though, are you allowed to do it because it looks bad? Well, now that's a good question. I, I wanted to wear sideburns and have my hair longer when I was in high school. You can't do it because it looks bad. Tattoos look bad, so therefore you can't do them. If there, and my argument, my mother always was, it's either right or it's wrong, and there's got to be something you can look at in the scriptures and tell me that it's wrong. And, and if there's a reason why it's wrong, then you ought to say that, because a lot of things look one way and they aren't that way at all. And people do. I'm not for tattoos. Okay, I, my association with them as a young man growing up and everywhere else is that they are associated with a whole part of the world that I really don't want anything to do with. But I can't say that a tattoo is a sinful thing to have, nor do I believe that. It can be, but not necessarily for of itself. And I think people should look at the motivation as to why they want to do the things they want to do. This is what my mother was really trying to get across to me as a young man, probably. She was doing a very poor job because if you know my mother, she was pretty intense about these things. She was trying to get me to think through why I wanted to do certain things. And so she'd say, you can't have your hair long. I said, well, hair is nothing. She goes, well, if it's nothing, then why do you want to have it long? (laughs) Now, she's pretty smart there. If it doesn't matter, then why do you care if it's long? I was trapped a little bit. Still wanted it long. And she was trying to get me to see why. Was it a good reason? Poor reason? Was my was I drifting in a certain direction that I shouldn't be drifting in? And so there that's why she brought this verse up. Avoid every appearance of evil. And she would use that. Now I, I thought that, as I mentioned, I thought that was a wrong verse. For, I'll give you an example of why this is a problem. Maybe we'll get ahead of ourselves, but I, I want to get through this this morning. Uh, Jesus did a lot of things that the people around him thought looked bad and were wrong. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands like the Pharisees said they should before they ate ceremonially. They did, he did a lot of things that other people around him thought were sinful. And he defended them and he kept on doing them in spite of the fact that the Pharisees and other religious people thought he was wrong. That right there should be enough to convince you that this is the wrong translation or understanding of the phrase, avoid every appearance of evil. If it looks bad to somebody. Well, today, for example, if I stand up here and tell you that I think homosexual marriage is a sin, that looks bad to a whole lot of people. They think less of me if I say something like that. 
Well, if I can't do anything that other people think is sinful, just who is the who? Who are the other people that I'm worried about here? So it, it opens up a whole can of worms. That interpretation opens up a whole can of worms. The whole idea that I can't do something because somebody else would object. And that, that goes with this Christian idea that I can't offend anyone. I can't offend my brother. And we use the word offend to mean somebody isn't going to like it. Well, let me tell you, there is nothing that you can do that somebody isn't going to object to. You can do this or this, opposites, and they're still going to object. So there's that's, But here's the thing. That's not what the phrase offend your brother means. It means cause a person to sin. That's different. Now, I can see that. You know, some of these things might cause somebody to sin. We could talk about that. But that's not the scripture we're talking about this morning. Now, the other view of this verse is that it really means abstain from evil in whatever form it appears. Whatever the form of the evil is, it might not be obvious to you at first. It might not be something you've seen before. But whatever form evil appears in, you need to abstain from it. A lot of people, when they hear evil, they think of a devil in a little red tight suit with a forked tongue, bifurcated tail, as I've heard from the movies, and uh, bifurcated tongue, and, and he's got horns. And so if they don't see that, then it must not be wrong. And they have to see some outward form like that before it can be wrong. And some people are fooled. They don't think evil can exist in a church building among church people. People are so shocked when I tell them, for example, and mentioned before that I've seen, I, I know of pedophiles in churches of Christ, had dealings with them. They're just horrified. Well, this is a good place for evil people to hide sometimes. Con, con, no, it's not this place. Conservative places like that are because no one's looking. You're not looking for the evil in the, in the, in the nice suit. Who does the Lord's Supper? You're not looking for the evil there. And so it's a great place to hide. And after all, he's a good family man with a wife. He could never be a pedophile, really. Evil appears in many forms and many places. And the devil's constantly changing what he's doing. So we need to, first of all, let's, let's keep the, the passage in its context. There's some several ways to look at this context. Well, let's just look at it this way. He says, going back to verse 19, do not quench the spirit. This is the general exhortation. When the spirit is speaking to you through the word of God, you don't quench it. You pay attention to what it's saying to you. And the negative aspect of that is don't despise prophecies. A prophecy in this passage is not a prediction. It's speaking as God's speaking. So in, a, in this case, they had people in their churches who could prophesy or speak for God because they didn't have a written Bible yet. And don't despise this person who's saying this in the name of the Lord. Pay attention to it. And then he says, examine everything carefully. But on the other hand, a lot of people might talk, you have to examine everything carefully. Prove all things, I think the King James and other versions say. Prove means test all things. When you hear words coming out of my mouth, I'm expecting you to test them and think through them. Even go home and check it out and see if what I'm saying is accurate or complete or inaccurate, wrong. I expect you to do that. You ought to do that. Now, I know a lot of churches that don't like that because you're challenging the pastor who has the Holy Spirit and so forth, but that's not true here. We're supposed to, and you are, all of us are supposed to carefully examine, prove the things that we hear spiritually from the Scriptures, from what's already been revealed. 
And then when you do that, once you test it and see how it is, you know, the old movies where cowboy hands somebody, you know, two bits for a haircut and the barber takes the coin, puts in his teeth and tries to bend it, you know, that's proof. That's literally what this word test here means. It means put to the test and it was used of coins to see if they were real or fake. And so you ought to put to the test words that you hear spoken Everywhere, whether it's by the New York Times or whether it's by me, you need to have test what you're hearing. And people are not doing this. It's coming from Disney for crying out loud. It must be a good idea. Disney loves children. Boy, do they ever. We're finding out. They really do. Now, prove, test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Once you test them, you get a hold of what's good and you hold on to that and you remember that. This is what you should do after examining the good and then abstain from every appearance of evil. Evil will take many forms in the things that you hear and things you see. Wherever it appears, whatever its ugly face appears, whoever, whoever it is, wherever it is, whatever form it takes, you abstain from that because it's going to change over time. going to change. I heard the argument when I was a boy, a teenager. People would try to, people would try to condemn the use of marijuana. And smart Alex would say, the Bible don't say nothing about marijuana. What's the Bible? Show me a verse in the Bible about marijuana. The Bible don't say anything about gay marriage, or transsexuals. Jesus, or the fair, Jesus never said one word about homosexuality. So therefore, the meaning is, you can say what, you can do whatever you want. Now this is something you need to test. And evil appears in a lot of forms. It can have a backwards collar on, nice white backwards collar. It can have a white suit on. It can be a pretty woman. It be a lot of things. And we get fooled by rich person, poor person. We need to be careful because he says, abstain from every form of evil. Now, in what form does evil appear? Well, take, take a look at this. Here, here in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this. I know this context is not directly about what we're saying, but it's very, it's close enough for us to see the meaning of it. For such are false apostles, these people he's talking about, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. People going around that first century acting like they're apostles of Jesus Christ who are deceitful and they're false apostles. They're not true. And no wonder, he says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is not no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So he tells us here very clearly that Satan is what is behind these evil things that you hear. And the things that you're hearing are coming from people. And you got to look at that very carefully. Don't be fooled by the nature of the person telling you something and maybe the position of authority that they have. Listen to what's being said and don't be fooled because Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He came to Eve with light and revelation of a new way of living, new way of thinking. You can be a God. And she, she believed that. Adam went right along with her. And he's been doing it ever since. He transformed himself into an angel of light. If Satan came and looked as he truly looks, no one would trust him or believe him. So he's always going to look the other way. Is it a surprise that the people today that 
preach so much tolerance are the most intolerant that we can find around for oftentimes? To surprise you? It doesn't surprise me because I've been around human beings a long time. This is the way this works. Be careful about that. Be careful about that outward appearance because you'll be fooled. And therefore, he says, his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. His servant, the word ministers here means servants, those who serve him. They always seem to be, as they say, on the right side of history. I'm not even sure what that means. History hasn't been too good most times, but on the right side of history. They're on the right side. They have the right words coming out of their mouth. Have you examined this teaching? Have you thought about what it is? And sometimes we haven't. Don't be fooled. The Bible talks, for example, about intoxication. It's a sin for Christians to be to be intoxicated, to live a life of intoxication. It's a sin for them not to be sober-minded. Repeatedly, over and over it says this, sober-minded. And it doesn't have to be alcohol or wine. See, they probably didn't have beer in the New Testament times in this part of the world. It doesn't have to be wine. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be a lot of other intoxicants that intoxicate us. The Bible warns about that. And so evil can appear in many forms. And so people think, well, I don't take illegal drugs. My drugs are all prescription drugs. Has that not been a deceptive thing in the last 15, 20 years? It's very deceiving to people. They feel like since that's a prescription I'm taking, and I can get it from a doctor, it must be fine. I probably personally have no big problem legalizing marijuana in the same way that we've legalized alcohol. They're not that much different. In fact, probably in some ways, marijuana might be less harmful than alcohol to society. I know you never expected somebody in the pulpit to say that, but that's probably true. The real question is, should either one of them be legal? I don't know, except here's what I do know. That being legal or illegal doesn't make it a sin or not a sin. Lots of things that are legal are sinful. And soon will be that lots of things that are illegal are right to do. So you can't use legal and illegal on this, in this argument. But I do know this, people do have a tendency to think if the law sanctions it, it must be good. And so when you make something legal, it gives the idea to young people in particular, it must be okay, it must be good, because it's perfectly legal. And so when they're 17, drinking is a bad thing. The day they turn 18, they get dead drunk because it's now a good thing. What happened in that one day? Nothing. Nothing cosmic happened. Just an artificial age. But they don't examine all things. Every form of evil that it might take. But intoxication is not the way for people to live. This, this is probably particularly true in areas of sexuality and lust. Sex is a good thing. And I tire so much of hearing religious people make it a bad thing. The God created sexuality and sex. He made you a sexual being. And there's nothing wrong with that per se as long as it's where it should be and exercise in the right way, in a good way. But we get confused by that, that we think prostitution is bad, but somehow adultery is fine. You see? So we're fooled by the forms of e- that evil takes. It's, it, it's bad if uh, 
a person is sleeping around, but if they're having sex with a doll from Japan, that's fine. There you go. You see, pornography is okay as long as the person is over 18. What makes that distinction? Once again, legality. The Bible says abstain from evil wherever it appears because it's wrong whether society approves of it. It's wrong if it's in the actual form of you taking a man or a woman that's not your wife to bed with you or some other form of lust and licentious that you have no right to taking that. It doesn't change anything. Uh Uh-oh, what happened here? I guess it just got tired talking. Just decided it was going to stop talking. Stop work. Stop working. TV turned off. We'll fix you. I would make a joke about turning stuff on, but I won't. There you go. There you go. I just got the look. Okay. Uh, Give it a second. So what this requires of us as Christians is to think a little more carefully when we examine something. This is a distinguishing mark of the Christian. Thinking, the process of the mind, the transforming, as he says in Romans 12, of the mind, the evaluating of all things and bringing all Every thought into the captivity of Christ from 2 Corinthians 10. We have to bring all these thoughts, and so it takes work. It's, it's not easy to be a Christian. It demands something of you. You examine all your actions. That can make some people neurotic. It isn't really go, I'm not really going that direction, but we need to think about it. And, and some things you may not get an exact answer, and so you have to do what you can about it. But this is how God is determining what kind of character that you have. It's not good enough to say, well, the Bible doesn't mention that. The Bible doesn't mention meth, so meth must be fine. The Bible doesn't mention pornography, so pornography must be fine. And I've heard people make that argument. Be careful. Evil appears in many places. Peels appears in many forms of different kinds of people. Abstain from it wherever you see it. All right. Thank you for listening this morning. I'm not, I could go on, but I think we've, I just wanted to show you a verse that's been misused. And when you look at it properly, to me, the proper application of this verse is a lot more demanding on my heart than the other application that I should just worry about what other people think of me. And as long as other people think I'm fine, I can be what I want to. You see, this is how I fooled all those mothers of the girls I wanted to go out with. My mother helped me do this. She she made me keep my hair basically short and I, made me dress in reasonably decent clothes as far as the time period. And all the mothers thought I was the greatest young man in the world. Look, he's such a nice young man. They had little little knowledge of what I intended to do with their daughter if I could. <laughs> but as long as I looked okay on the outside, I must be fine. I wasn't that long-haired hippie, you know, with a beard and all those things. So... They were only looking on the surface. So therefore, my mother helped me. She just didn't realize it. Anyway, thank you for listening this morning. I appreciate very much your attention. And we're going to close our service with a song, a song that has been selected as a 
way for us all to think about our position with Christ. Number 163, give me thy heart. Christ says we need, he wants us so he can change us and transform us and save us. It's the only place where salvation is. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, never done what the New Testament says to become a Christian, repented of your sins because you believe in Jesus Christ, turn to him, confessing his name, being baptized for the remission of those sins. Now you can become a Christian. Everything is ready for that this morning. If you'll come down to the front in just a moment, we'll be glad to help you do that, lead you through that process of becoming a Christian today. And you begin a new journey with Christ. If you've wandered away from the Lord, let us pray with you about that. Get you help get you back on track. The Lord can forgive and you can start over again also. Can we help you today? If so, come right down here. Let's stand and sing.